You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Well, good morning, Bethel. There it is. I was about to say it's great to see you, but the lights were off. Now it's great to see you. Uh, Drew, great to see you as well. Many of you guys may not know this. Drew was the original worship leader at Bethel White House. Yes, yeah, so every once in a while we get him over here. Uh, unfortunately, a few years ago, God moved him and his family to another town. And that was right about when I came, which I've been assured was a coincidence. Right, Drew? Is that the story? We're still taking that story. Okay, pretty sure, he says. Uh, no, it's great to see you, Drew. And man, we're standing on your shoulders, everything we have here. So thanks for being here. Uh, if you want to get out your Bible, you can turn to Joshua chapter 5. Uh, Joshua 5 finds us really in a transition in the book of Joshua. So we shift from preparations to conquest to the actual conquest. So practice is over, and it's game day. It, it's time to show up, and let's do this thing. If uh, you remember, if you've been here the past few weeks, so kind of everything's in place. We, we've gotten the things we need, so we got the leader we need. God appointed this man named Joshua, who, wouldn't you know it, as a coincidence, has the same Hebrew name as Jesus, to be their leader, and he's going to lead the people into the land. We met Rahab, and we found out that this grace from this God, the salvation is available to anyone who will put their faith in it. Then we had this miraculous crossing where God led his people across the Jordan River and the whole nation crossed together. And now they stand at the walls of a little town called Jericho. You may have heard of it. And we're ready to go. We're ready to see these walls falling down. We know what's coming, but not yet. See, in chapter five, what we get instead of battle plans, instead of walls crumbling, we get ritual. We get ceremony. We're even going to get a divine encounter. We're going to see Jesus himself today in Joshua chapter 5. We said much of the application of Joshua, it's kind of about sanctification. How do we walk in what God has already prepared for us and promised us? And chapter 5 is going to show us this, that walking with God, it is less about conquest and more about consecration. It's less about conquest and more about consecration. Now, that's a big word, consecration. Let's talk about it a little bit. You'll see that same word translated into different English words. It's the same word for holy. You'll hear things called clean in the Old Testament. That's the same word. It's the same word for sanctified, sanctification. And we usually think when you think of holy, when you think of sanctification, we think moral. And so God's going to show up when he says, hey, be consecrated. He's telling us to be more moral, make better decisions, do good stuff, stop doing bad stuff. But it is actually not about being moral. God's not going to just tell them, hey, do good, stop doing bad. Consecration, it's, it's about setting aside something for special use. It's actually about exclusive ownership. And so you'll see in the Old Testament things like a bowl. A bowl will be called consecrated or holy. And you say, what's a bowl? It can't be moral or immoral because that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about that bowl is set aside exclusively for special use by God. And so when God says, consecrate yourself to me, he's not saying, hey, I just want you to move from immoral to moral as much as he's saying, I want you to shift from mine to your, from yours to mine, depending on your perspective. From it's all about me to it's all about him. 
from I own me to he owns me. And this is our big idea for Joshua 5 today. It's about whose you are, not what you do. It is about whose you are, not about what you do as you stand facing the walls of Jericho. So let's pick it up. We'll read the first few verses and talk about it a little bit. Joshua chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. As soon as the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war who had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt, though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. I should have warned you, we're going to say the word circumcised a whole lot today. Like, we're going to set a new record, okay? So the stage is set for conquest. We, we find out everyone is terrified on the other side of those walls in Jericho. It's a perfect time to strike. You get the impression they could have just hopped out and said boo, and they could have taken the city. It is time. In fact, you're reading this thinking, this is going to be a short book. This is going to be easy. Just, just go take it. God says, hold on. First, everyone's getting circumcised. How about that? Can you imagine being one of those soldiers, one of those fighting men, ready to go? I'm sorry, what now? What are we going to do? In fact, they named the place Gilbeath Haraloth. Some of you, your Bible may translate it differently. Some of you may have a note that that name means Hill of the Foreskins. That's the name of the place. How would you like to live in that neighborhood? Can you imagine people ask you where you live? And you're like, I'd rather not say, honestly. Uh, property values are going down. Let's just say that. But understand what they're doing. They are making themselves, as an army, incredibly vulnerable. Doing this would essentially incapacitate all their fighting men for several days. And they knew this. You know how they knew this? They had done it to other people. You go back and read Genesis 34. They killed a whole town because they convinced the men to get circumcised. And while they were still sore, that's when they attacked. They knew this. So why, when they're about to face a powerful enemy, more powerful than them, why would they make themselves vulnerable like this? You know, I think there's a clue in some of the specific instructions that God gives them. He tells them, I want you to go make flint knives. So, these, these are no ginsus, these are no surgical scalpels here, okay? These are stone knives, we'll call them. 
And here's what's surprising about that. Y'all, they had metal. They had the technology to make sharp metal swords and knives. They could have done that. Instead, they hammered out some stone into some kind of knife thing. Why would they do this? What what gives? I, I think it was to make sure they weren't distracted by plans of battle. They would have been tempted to go make some swords and some knives that then they could have turned around and used on Jericho. But you can't use a flint knife for war. And so I think God is telling them, I want you to make sure you're making a tool of consecration, not a tool of conquest. And consecration is the whole purpose of circumcision. So let's talk about what circumcision is a little bit. So it was actually practiced throughout the ancient Near East. It wasn't that uncommon of a practice. It was even practiced in Egypt where they had just come from, where they had been in slavery for 400 years with one big difference. Everywhere else in the ancient Near East, it was reserved only for priests. And so it it was a, a form of dedication by a priest that said, it was their way of saying, I'm, I'm dedicating my whole life into the service of this God. And you can see the, the symbolism there. I'm cutting away my fleshly desires so that nothing rules over me except God. But what made Israel different is that it wasn't just for a few special priests, but a whole kingdom of priests. An entire people who are going to be completely God's. And so this circumcision, it was kind of like a physical name tag. It's like when I used to go off to summer camp and my mom would write the name and the band of all my underwear. So everyone know, this is Clint. This belongs to Clint. God was saying, each and every one of them, all of this people belong to me. They are mine. And that's why it came in the context of covenant. It is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, I just got to imagine for all eternity, Abraham is up there in heaven and kind of has a grudge on Noah because Noah, for his covenant sign, got a rainbow. Abraham got circumcision. I don't know why. doesn't seem fair. That's how it went. We got to understand this covenant. We, we kind of we hear covenant. We think, oh, it's like a contract, right? It's not a contract. Covenant and contract are very different. Here's the main difference. A, a contract is transactional. I do this. You do that, and we fulfill the contract. It's never how it is with covenant. The fulfillment of a covenant is never transactional. It is always relational. And so the purpose, the fulfillment of the covenant throughout the Bible, it's always summarized this way. I will be their God. They will be my people. That's the fulfillment of the covenant, our relationship with one another. The key ingredients to the covenant or not, you do this, I do that. The key ingredients of the covenant are always hested and met. That's the faithful, loyal love of God. His covenant, everlasting kindness. And so God is interrupting all their battle plans to say, pause, time out, you are still mine. Whose you are is far more important when it comes to taking Jericho than what you do. And so despite how this may sound to us, I think this was a great day for the people of Israel. You know what? They were well aware of their failures. They were well aware of their disobedience. They knew they had broken the covenant. And they look around, they say, we don't have God's name tag on us anymore. You know what? I have to think they were probably a lot like you and me. After some failure, after some faithlessness, after some tough times, maybe even after some discipline, 
We ask him, has God given up on me? Am I still his child? Or maybe he's brought me here to test me. You know, maybe we've got to prove ourselves. Maybe if we go conquer these enemies, God will say, okay, now you've made up for all your mess-ups and you can be mine again. Or, you know, he's going to get us to the land because he said he would, but then he's going to, like, drop us off in the van and drive off and leave us there. So when God brings back circumcision, it's like the father saying, you are still my child. You still belong to me. And so he says in verse 9, I have rolled back your reproach. That word reproach, it means disgrace. It means shame. And in this context, he's not talking about the, the shame of being in slavery. He's talking about of sin, of forsaking me, of forgetting me. And they had a picture of exactly what God was going to do. Remember a couple chapters ago when they crossed the Jordan? Remember how it described what happened to the waters? How the waters went uphill, went back 16 miles, and it says they stacked up. The waters rolled away right in front of their eyes. I think right in that moment, God was giving them a picture of what he does with their rebellion. He's saying, you saw what I did with the water, right? How it rolled back? That's what I do with your sin and your shame. See, it's about whose you are. It's not about what you've done. You know, most people, myself included, we, we tend to think I am what I've done. And so most people either live in the shame of their failures or the pride of their successes, but that's not how God operates. God invites you into something greater. He invites you into relationship. He invites you to be his. So he says this thing, and at the, at the end of verse 6, God swears twice. Not that kind of swearing, like the good kind of swear. He swears twice. And it seems contradictory, though. It seems like it doesn't add up. He, he swore that the previous generation would not enter the land, but he also swore to give his land to his people. So, so what's he saying here? He's saying, look, are there consequences for sin? Yes. Yes. Some of the people forfeited some of their personal experience. Sure. But really what he's saying is, don't overestimate your abilities here. Human sin and rebellion cannot conquer the covenant. You are still my people. Even that wilderness generation, listen, they were led by his presence every step of the way. He still provided manna for them every day. And he's saying, and I will still lead you into the land, I promise, because you're still mine. So listen, men and women this morning, I don't care how bad you failed. I don't care how long you've been in this little fight with God. Whose you are is way more important than what you've done. People with kids, why, why do you love your kids? And not because of what they've done or haven't done, but because they're your kids. It's about whose they are, not what they've done. It is the same with God. And so next, God reminds them that because you're mine, I'll always provide for you. Always. Let's pick it up in verse 10. It says, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. 
So they celebrate the Passover. Now understand, this is only the third Passover in the history of Israel. So you got the day it happened, the first one, then they celebrated a year later, and then not again for more than 40 years until today. This is the first Passover in the promised land. Now you remember what the Passover is. The Passover, it's a remembrance of deliverance. Back in Egypt, and death was coming, as sure as night follows day, but God provided salvation. They could put the blood of an innocent lamb over the doorpost, and death would pass over every home that had the blood of the innocent lamb spread over the door. It's a great celebration, but I still have to ask, why do this now? Why do we stop and do this now? I mean, can't this wait until after the battle? No, because the most important thing is that they know whose they are before they enter the battle. You know, again, I think they're probably a lot like us. They're wondering, you know, maybe, just maybe, God had rescued them at the Passover all those years ago, but it was up to them now. It was up to them to prove they could live the good life now. Reminds me of the movie Saving Private Ryan. You know, if you've seen it, there's a heartbreaking scene at the end where Throughout this movie, several people have died to keep this one man alive. And as their captain, as he lays dying, he leans into Private Ryan. He says these haunting words. He says, earn this. Earn this. And at the end of the movie, Private Ryan is there as an old man standing at the grave of his captain. And in tears, he just looks at his wife and he says, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. And you can see the anguish of a man trying to earn something that he can never earn. You know, most people think walking with God is about God saving you and then you trying to earn it. So when we have that mentality, walking with God, it becomes about things like sin sin management and self-help and being the best me. But God says, you know what? I provide for my people every step of the journey. So if you go back to Exodus 12, God gives them the instructions for Passover in Exodus 12, starting in verse 43. And he's very clear. He, He says this celebration is for Israelites in Israel. And so he explicitly says no slave can partake of the Passover. He says no sojourner can partake of the Passover. Unless, though, he makes an exception, unless they are circumcised, unless they've joined the covenant, unless they have become my people and have my name tag on them. Now, think about the people in Joshua 5 here. What's their story? They were slaves, but God rescued them from from slavery through their Passover lamb. And next they were sojourners, wandering in the wilderness, but God parted the waters and brought them home. And now God has had them circumcised. He has placed his sign of ownership on them. Men and women, when God said it's time to celebrate the Passover, they would have gasped. They would have said, God did it. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer sojourners. We are his. He didn't just save us and then say, earn it. They knew that day whose we are is so much more important than what we've done. And then look at verse 11 and 12. So, The writer points out three times in two verses that they are eating the crops of the promised land and that the manna that God provided them in the wilderness, that manna has stopped. Remember, the the Passover is meant to be practiced by Israelites in Israel. 
And so when that manna ceases and they eat the fruit of the land, every Israelite that day would have thought of Deuteronomy 8. It says, when you eat of the fruit of the land, you will know you are home. And I have gotten you there. I have provided it for you. God is saying to them, listen, I provided the lamb and the manna and the crops, not because you were awesome or because you earned it, but because you're mine. That's why I did it. But the wise Israelite would have also known Deuteronomy 8 is also a warning passage. It says, listen, when you eat, after you eat the fruit of the land, you will be prone to forget whose you are. You'll be snacking down and you'll start to think, man, this is really good. Maybe I did this. Maybe my power and the might of my hand did this. And if I did it, then whose is it? It's mine. And when you forget, men and women, when you forget whose you are, you forget who it's for. And this is going to be their struggle throughout the rest of the book, their struggle from their first victory. God will give them victory. It'll give them riches. It'll provide them. It'll say, okay, this is all mine. And they'll say, can most of it be yours? Can we do most? How about most, God? But like, and like the good stuff, but like a little bit. Can a little bit be mine? That's how most of us work. Most of us, after we receive promises from God, then, then we try to enter into like a shared custody agreement with God. You know, some of this is for him, sure, but, but then some's for me. So next, this guy shows up, a warrior shows up, and he is here for one purpose. He is here to remind us, hey, if it's all from him, then that means it's all for Let's read verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So the, the scene shifts from everybody to just Joshua. And Joshua, he's off by himself. He's probably thinking about the battle. Maybe he's praying. Maybe he's nervous. I don't know. But he encounters this mighty warrior with his sword drawn. And he's thinking, uh-oh, maybe this is one of those giants the spies warned us about 40 years ago. In that time, listen, there's only one reason you drew your sword, and it's because you intended to use your sword. And so this guy is ready to fight. And so Joshua asked him, because he needs to know very quickly, hey, are you for me or are you against me? He's asking, are we going to fight or are you going to salute me? Because if you're one of these enemy soldiers, we're about to fight. If you're one of my soldiers, then I don't know if you heard this yet, but I'm the boss. And so you've got to salute me. And the guy responds, no. Well, that wasn't one of the options, was it? You ever ask your kid an either-or question and they say no? The soldier's saying, you're asking the wrong question, Joshua. The wrong question. The question is not if I'm on your side. The question is, are you on my side? And he identifies himself. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. He's pulling rank on Joshua. 
Joshua, this army is not yours. This army is mine. And this, right here, men and women, this is a Christophany. It's an Old Testament pre-nativity appearance of Christ in human form. This is Jesus. Now, there, yeah, yeah there's, there's all kind of textual evidence for it, all kind of things we can point to. But really, you need to look no farther than Joshua's reaction himself. Joshua knows who this is. He falls down and he worships this being. An Israelite would never worship a man. An Israelite would never even worship an angel. An Israelite only worships God. And beyond that, an angel will never allow himself to be worshipped. We know that from Revelation 22. And then he's instructed to take off his sandals. This is the same instructions that Moses received at the burning bush. This being demands to be worshipped as holy. See, this commander of the Lord's army, he's not here to talk about strategy. He's not here to give a pep talk. He is there to deal with Joshua's heart. He is saying, before you go to conquer this land, you must consecrate yourself to me. The most important thing is whose you are, Joshua. So are you on my side? And look at Joshua's response. You, you want to know what consecration is? It's verse 14 and 15. God, whatever you want. And the chapter ends by saying Joshua did exactly what God asked him to do. This is the response of consecration. This is knowing whose you are. God is no co-pilot. He is a commander, and I'm all his. You know, many, many people spend their whole life trying to get God on their side. We spend our time asking, okay, how, do I, how can I use God to get Jericho? Or to make sure my kids are safe and happy or to, to make sure my nation is wealthy and secure or to make sure I don't feel lonely and depressed anymore or to just make that other person in my life do what I want them to do. So that leads to these questions like, okay, God, how much do I have to give you? How much do I have to go to church? How much do I have to keep your commandments to get you to do what I want you to do? But God says, pump the brakes. I'm not a soldier in your army. But I am inviting you to be a soldier in mine. Men and women, God's mission has never changed. It goes all the way back to Abraham when he said, the reason I'm blessing you is to be a blessing to the whole earth. He is working to save sinners. He is working to make disciples. He is working to build his church, and it is for his glory. And I know you have other agendas for God. I know that because I do too. Every time my old minivan breaks down and has to go in the shop, it is a case of competing agendas between me and God, okay? This is life, I know. But the Bible talks about a different kind of circumcision. It talks about circumcision of the heart. It's a promise of the new covenant. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. You can read it in Jeremiah and Colossians and Romans and Philippians. It's not done by a flint knife. It's done by the Holy Spirit. And it means my whole heart, my whole life is consecrated to God. It's all set aside for his purpose. And so if you go read Colossians 1, Colossians 1 says, Jesus is preeminent. He's the commander of it all. And that word preeminent, a lot of times, you know, I take it to mean like the first of all the priorities. So I make my priority list. I put Jesus as one, and then, you know, two through 35, I keep listing. As long as Jesus is one, we're good. That is not what preeminent means. It means he's the commander of everything. 
the whole army. It's all his. It means the list, the pen, the hand that wrote it. It all belongs to him. And this, I know, gang, this is going to sound crazy if you've never experienced it. It sounds literally like put me in an institution insane. The best thing that can happen to you is you find out you're not the center of the universe. Your life will never have more purpose than when you figure out you're not the purpose. In fact, the reason everything disappoints us eventually, the reason relationships, achievements, churches, experience, the reason they all come to disappoint us is because we tend to think they exist for me. But the moment you realize it's not for me, it is for him, you can start to do some really weird things. Things like rejoice in suffering. Things like worship in uncertainty. Instead of shame or pride, those things are replaced with things like thankfulness and gratitude. And I know, I know it is really out, out of style today to, to talk about belonging to someone. You know, we, we want to think, hey, I, I'm my own man. I'm strong. I'm independent. I don't need nobody. And so I know it's easy to ask, why would someone give their whole life to someone else? The Bible really gives us one answer. It's a very short one. Because that's what he did for you. You know, I told you Jesus was in this chapter, and he is. He's there as the commander of the army of the Lord. But he's actually in this chapter twice. Because he's the commander, and he's the Passover lamb. Remember that commander, he's there with his sword drawn. What we're going to find out in this grand narrative of the Bible unfolds is that sword that's drawn will be turned on himself. See, Jesus said this thing in, in John 17, 19. He's there with his disciples right before the cross. It's his last time with them all together before the cross. And he, he says this really weird thing. He says, for their sake, I consecrate myself. And so, you see, he can't just mean morality. Jesus is already perfect. He already is moral. He can't make himself more moral. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm giving all of myself to God for them. I will become like this Passover lamb. Why? Because I am his and they are mine. And it's all about whose you are. Remember verse 9? God says, I'm going to roll back their reproach. That word reproach, it shows up in the New Testament five times. One of those times is Romans 15, 3, where it says, Our reproach, our shame, our guilt has fallen on Jesus. All our sin and shame in women. It didn't just disappear. It's not, God's not David Copperfield. He didn't do a magic trick. So where did he go? He put it on his son. Why? Why would he do that? Because it's about whose you are, not what you've done. And so then Romans 12, 1 says this thing. It caught me off guard this week, honestly. It, it says, we present ourselves as living sacrifices to God. Okay, so that's consecration. That's Joshua removing his sandals, falling in his face, saying, whatever you want, God, it's all for you. But Romans 12, 1 says, this is our reasonable act of worship. Do you hear that? It is reasonable. Nothing makes more sense in the world than to do that. See, when, when you have a God who has given himself totally to you, nothing makes more sense than to give yourself totally to him. 
So it's all about, if it's all about who you are, let me ask you today, who do you belong to? Whose are you? And what is stopping you today from giving all of yourself to the God who gave himself to you? I'm going to ask Drew to come on back up. It's time for our so what. And so we're going to give you just a minute to sit there and write down, encourage you to write it down or type it on your phone or maybe mentally write it down. How does God's word apply to you today? You know, I have to believe there's some here who, who are realizing, you know what? I've been asking God to be on my side instead of me being on God's side. Listen, if that's you, what would it look like for you to consecrate your whole life to him, to make him preeminent over everything? You know, or, or maybe you've made following God about what you do. And so you're driven by shame of your past or maybe hope that you can do better tomorrow. What would it look like? For you to place more importance on whose you are than what you do. You know what? Or maybe, maybe you never knew until today that you could belong to God. Listen, if that's you, you can ask God today. If it is true that he is the commander who is also the Passover lamb who took your reproach from you. And if you believe that this morning, just tell him. And then you can tell us. We'd love to hear that this morning. So let's just take just a minute to do some business with God and do our so what today. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.